them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lady and the ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to, de uh, to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain unto Venice and uh, there to winter, which is in the haven of Crete, and lieth toward the south, west, and north, west. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocliden. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up in the, into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, Straight sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about the midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under the color as though they had cast another uh, cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said unto the centurion and to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, and there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the ship two hundred, three score, and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, cast out the wheat into the sea. 
And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded if it were possible to thrust it thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder bands and hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made toward shore. And falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground and and uh, the fore part stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they, that they which could swim uh, should cast themselves first into the sea and, and to get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. If you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. First Timothy 1, 18 says, This charge I commit unto thee, thou son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou... Uh, by them uh, mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, with some having put away uh, concerning the faith, having made shipwreck, of whom as Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this evening that your spirit would teach us and guide us into all truth. We thank you, Lord, for your power to... Help us through the storms of life. Lord, we know that you're the one that can keep us safe. And Lord, I pray tonight as we listen to thy word, that God, our ears would be attentive to what we hear, that it be a help and an encouragement to us. And Lord, that we would not become shipwrecked ourselves. But Lord, that we'd remain faithful and serve you with all of our heart. We'll give you all the praise, the honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On April 10th, 1912, the RMS Titanic left her berth in the harbor of Southampton, England. This was the maiden voyage for the 882-foot-long ocean liner. It had, billed, it had been billed as an unsinkable ship. She carried 2,238 passengers. Most of the passengers paid thousands of dollars just to be able to, to go on that ship. Four days, though, into the voyage on April 14, 1912, there were some severe warnings received concerning icebergs that were coming across the path. These warnings were ignored, and the Titanic maintained her course toward New York Harbor. She, on, uh, at 11.40 p.m. on that date, April 14, the Titanic struck an iceberg and it uh, tore a, a hole in the side of the bow. She began to take on water at an alarming rate, and within three hours, she sank. And 1,523 of the passengers perished that day. Only 705 of the original 2,228 persons survived the shipwreck. Since 1912, people have tried to figure out what in the world happened 
that would cause such a, a catastrophe of that. Most people would agree that it was a, trage- a tragedy with a mixture of many things, including negligence on some people's parts, apathy, greed, pride, and incompetence. But the tragedy could have been avoided if the proper steps had been taken. Since then, those steps, uh, because they were not taken, a tragic loss, both materialistically and also of life, (coughs) occurred that night. Most of us will not be uh, involved in a shipwreck of that, like in the sea. But there is another type of shipwreck which happens all uh, all, all too often, and that is a spiritual shipwreck. We're going to consider today how to avoid becoming shipwrecked spiritually. If we're not careful, each of us can become shipwrecked. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, that Hymenius and Philetus, or excuse me, Hymenius and uh, Alexander were shipwrecked in the faith. We can learn some important principles, I believe, as we look at the Apostle Paul and his shipwreck. We can consider some important principles that help us not to become spiritually shipwrecked. I want to consider tonight as we look at this, first of all, the first point is this. Those who become shipwrecked don't intend on becoming shipwrecked. Uh, when those people got on board and that, that, uh, the Titanic, they didn't expect that they were going to be shipwrecked. In fact, here as we look at this portion of Scripture going back to Acts chapter 28, the Apostle Paul is being taken to Rome for, on, uh, to, for trial by Caesar. Remember, when he was down in Jerusalem, they had, uh, there were some Jews that were trying to kill him, and Paul finally, he just uh, because he was a Roman citizen, he uh, wanted to be tried by Caesar's court. And because of that, so now he's being taken by a centurion and taken there before Caesar's court. He had that right. He was a prisoner under the control of a Roman centurion. It was necessary for him to board a ship and and, uh, then to go on that journey. And the Bible says that in verse number 6 of chapter 28 that that the uh, centurion, it says, Howbeit they they looked uh, when they had, uh, excuse me, uh, 27, excuse me, verse number 8. It says that the centurion uh, was looking for a... uh, in verse number six, it says, "And there was a centurion, uh, and the centurion found a ship of Alexander sailing into Italy, and he put us thereon." So the centurion found a ship that was going to uh, get him to Rome. He was moving in that direction. They sailed under Crete and the fair havens. They they had spent much time uh, there, and sailing it was now dangerous, according to verse number nine. And Paul, in verse number nine, warns them not to go on because of the dangers and look what it says in verse number nine but when much time was spent and the sailing was now dangerous because the the fast was now already passed paul admonished them and said unto them sirs i perceive that this voyage will be with her to much damage not only with the lading of the ship but also of our lives nevertheless the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than the things which were spoken by paul we have these folks here, they, they didn't realize the danger that was lay ahead. The centurion, he listened to the master to the, uh, of the ship, the one who was in control. And, and when he was asking, well, what do you think? Should we stay or should we go? And he was saying, hey, you know what? I think that these things are all okay. 
They didn't realize that there was danger that lay ahead. How many Christians who once lived for the Lord, who had a passion for souls and a desire for the work of God, and started going down a path which led them to be shipwrecked? Well, they were going this direction for the Lord, but all of a sudden they made a turn and it took them down another path which led, led them into danger. They weren't intending to become shipwrecked. It just happened. You say, Pastor, what were the reasons for the shipwreck? Well, let me look as we consider this portion of Scripture, some things that will speak to us, I believe, to warn us as Christians, some things that will cause us to become spiritually shipwrecked. First of all, one of the things that, uh, that caused this shipwreck here was pride. The centurion, the Bible says in verse number 11, it says he chose to listen to the owner of the ship rather than to Paul. Well, who was Paul? Paul wasn't a person who was on the, on the sea. He wasn't a, he wasn't a boatman. He didn't have, have that knowledge. Uh, the owner of the ship, surely he knew about sailing more than this old-time preacher. This old-time preacher. He, he's just an old fuddy-duddy. He was an intellectual. He was a person who knew some things. But I submit to you the centurion chose to listen to a man rather than the man of God. Folks, there is a danger of listening to the wisdom of men rather than listening to God. Can I share with you some verses? Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you and I, when we get caught up in our pride, we don't listen to God. We don't want to listen to the things of God. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble of spirit. Many a Christian has become spiritually shipwrecked because they have chosen to listen to the wisdom of this world rather than willing to listen to the wisdom of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 20. We find these words. It says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Oh, we see that we can look at, the, at this world and the thinking of this world. It is so foolish. It's so foolish. It's becoming more and more foolish all the time. And as we stop and God says, where is that person? Where is that intelligent person uh, as far as the world is concerning? Verse number 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. When the world could see as they look out in the creation and they can see that there's a God, the heavens declare that there's a God. They reject all of that. And verse number 21 goes on to say, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. God looks at man's wisdom, the best that the world has to offer, the wisest of this world. And he says, you know what? That's foolishness. All the time and all the money that is spent, as we've said before, 
sending uh, sending spacecraft out into the out into the atmosphere to try to find life on other planets. How much money have we wasted on that foolishness? He said, "Well, Pastor, you know what? We've got all these UFO reports now. We know that there's UFOs, and so uh, we we believe that. You know what? The Bible says that God has determined their habitation. God determined what habitation man." And, and life was going to be on all these other planets. There is no life on there. How can you know? Because the word of God tells us so. The one who created it. He created the earth to be inhabited. You say, how foolish is that, Pastor? You know, there could be, there may be some place, you know, out there somewhere. Some, we just don't know it all. But you know what? There is a God who knows it all. And he knows what's on the other planets. He knows and understands. And man, in his pride, does not look to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 19. Look what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 19. It says, For the wisdom of this word is, of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Oh, we see over here in Russia, now with Putin doing his, trying to take over uh, Ukraine, and, and we need to be praying for the Prems, and they're, they're, you know, they're, Putin has been trying to do all the things that he can possibly do to, to try to take that over. Now some of his uh, cohorts are trying to encourage uh, low-level nuclear uh, action to be taken over there just to take that. Folks, can I tell you something? There is a God who can overrule all of that stuff. And the nation of Israel, uh, the Six-Day War, if you ever study some of that Six-Day War, some amazing things were done when people were looking and said, Israel cannot survive against all these nations that were coming against them, and yet they did, and they were victorious. How could God, how could they do that? Because God was on their side. Folks, may I tell you today, there is a God who can overrule the wisdom of mankind. And there is still a God who sits upon the throne today. What caused the shipwreck there with Paul? Pride. The pride of a centurion listening to this owner of the ship. I want you to see a second thing. There was a refusal to heed the warning led, uh, led to the shipwreck. Refusal to hear, heed the warning led to the shipwreck. You know, God had used his messenger, Paul, to warn of the impending danger, did he not? He says, guys, you ought not to go. You ought not to go. You know, the Titanic was warned about the danger of the icebergs, but did not heed the warning. They continued... Uh, to steam forward. You know, God has given us His Word to warn us of the dangers of sin. He has given us the preachers of the Word of God to herald the truth as a watchman on the wall. Look with me to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. The preachers who stand and proclaim and preach the Word of God are watchmen upon the wall for you. And for this nation. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 1, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land take a man, uh, uh, take, uh, excuse me, take a man of their coast, and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. 
He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if, a wa- but if a watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take away that person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel, therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. May I share with you today that preachers that are preaching this book, the truth of God's word, are just like the watchmen sitting upon the wall looking out for the dangers of this world. Looking out on the things. And and God's word tells us, you know what? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. As a watchman upon the wall, God is telling you, don't live according to the course of this world. Don't go after the things that this world is, is calling you to go after. Don't follow the principles and the direction of this world. Follow after Christ. You say, but pastor, the rest of the world is going that way. doesn't matter. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life everlasting, and few there be that find it. But pastor, that's not, that's not what the rest of the world, it looks a lot more fun to go out there and be able to do whatever I want to do. I'm t- here today to tell you there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. God warns people. I think God is trying to warn America. We're seeing hurricanes and we're seeing all of these things that are happening. And people say, we've never seen it on this like this before. It's a great God who is trying to get our attention while there's still time to turn from our sin. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Paul was telling this son in the faith, if you would, you just you be careful to watch and do what God's Word says because it'll deliver not only you, but those who you preach to. And you, uh, you as a watchman are going to have an opportunity to, to be that, that uh, help to turn people from the danger that lies ahead. Those who are willing to listen and take heed can avoid the dangers of chipwreck. However, there are, there, there are others who will hear the warnings but will not heed. I want you to turn with me to a book of, called Proverbs. The middle of the Bible is the book of Psalms and to the right is Proverbs. This portion of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 1 is a very sobering portion of Scripture, I believe. I hear so often people say, well, Pastor, you know, my life, I'm going through some rough troubles and, and, and trials and everything seems to be going wrong and my life's just a mess and I just don't understand why. Proverbs is where they should spend some time. 
And in particular, this particular area here in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, wisdom crieth without. Now, we're not talking about the world's wisdom. We're talking about God's wisdom here. Two different types of wisdom, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. They're, they're totally different. Here it says, wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. God's wisdom. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse and the opening of the gates in the city. She uttereth her words saying, how long ye simple ones Will ye love simplicity? And the scorners, that idea of scorners are those who mock and arrogantly talk against God. The scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. Here God's wisdom is speaking. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. See, God calls for people to listen for people to hear His wisdom, for people to hear His truth, to, for people to hear the right way. But look at verse 24. Because I have called, God's wisdom is called, and ye have refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, but ye have said it not all my counsel. In other words, you wouldn't listen to what I have to say, God says, and with none of my reproof, you wouldn't turn from anything that I told you that you need to change. I also will laugh at your calamity. You say, well, Pastor, what is God trying to say? Well, when you're going to turn away from God, calamity is going to come your way. You can mark it down. God says he's going to laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Not only will calamity come, but fear will come. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. You know, there's a lot of people say, well, you know what? I prayed and God didn't answer. I wonder if the reason why God doesn't answer their prayer is simple. God had been trying to tell them over and over and over, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. There's danger over there. Stay away from that. And they've told God no, and God says, okay, now that you've gone down that path, when you call, I'm not going to answer. See, sometimes we think God's going to answer just because of who I am. But God says, let me just tell you about my economy. Let me tell you about how I am. When I warn you, and I warn you, and you won't listen, the only way that you're going to find out and figure out what's right and what's true is to go through a hard time. That's exactly what happens to these people here. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For, here's the purpose, here's the reason why. For they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. You know, what? you can thumb your nose up at God all you want. But there's coming a time when you're going you're gonna to realize you need God. And God's going to let you go through the hard times and let you go through the troubles and the trials, and, and your life is going to be miserable, and you're going to wonder whether or not you're going to make it or not. Why? Because you wouldn't listen to God. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple slayeth them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But, but whoso hearkeneth 
unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. I submit to you today that those who are willing to listen to God, God can deliver them. God can protect them. But those who turn their back, who refuse the, the warnings given by God, you're going to have a hard time. If you hear the warnings of God but refuse to take them, we will surely come into spiritual shipwreck. I want you to notice the third thing. Why did all this happen? Why did the shipwreck that Paul was talking about, why did that happen to them? Well, I believe the desire for pleasures and material wealth led to the shipwreck. If you'll notice back there in that portion of Scripture where we were in Acts chapter number uh, 27, notice in verse number 12. And it's talking, remember they had gone, and, and uh, it says in verse 12, it says, And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also if by any means they might attain unto Finnis and there to winter, which is in the haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. Because it was not commodious. You say, well, what does that commodious mean? It comes from uh, two Greek words, ou, which means to be well off and uh, to prosper, and tithemi, uh, which means to set or to put in place. They wanted a place that was more pleasurable, more prosperous to winter in. The owner of the ship had goods which needed to go to the market. Money was the driver of the ship going forward. They had to get to a place where they could offload and get, the, get money for the goods. How many Christians have become spiritually shipwrecked because of pleasure and material wealth? You say, well, Pastor... Uh, you think that really happens? Well, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And consider what Paul says as he's writing there to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's talking about people who were called Christians and uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 9. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You know what? Christians can be caught in a materialistic world that their life is all wrapped up in their goods and the, the things that they can possess. Man, I've got to live so I can have something bigger and something better. And I've got to, I want to have more money. I want to have my 401k. I want to have all this stuff. And so that's what I'm living for. And God says, God warns them right here. Those that, that's the direction of your life. That's the goal of your life. He says, they will fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They've erred from doing what God says to do and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I remember several years ago, we were uh, purchasing life insurance from a, an individual, and uh, he was telling me about something that he'd gotten into, uh, and he said, you know, I'm making really good money. You know, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it, it's either illegal or immoral. Something's wrong with it. 
And so he was telling me one day, he says, you know, we go to this special meeting and everybody has an envelope and we, you know, uh, this person comes and you give that envelope over here to this person and this person gives an envelope to you. And, and I said, eh, that sounds kind of shady. Oh, it was a pyramid scheme that was going on. And uh, folks, can I tell you something? That's not good. That's illegal. And, uh, you know, people get, people get busted for things like that. Uh, there was a pastor that was always trying to, boy, I mean, he was trying to, you know, make sure he got money so he'd have some money for retirement, and he was, he'd always get involved in those type of things. Folks, can I tell you something? That's not where our focus is supposed to be. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will take care of you. We sing that song. Do we believe it? Be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, God will take care of you. Here, these people in that ship with Paul, boy, we've got to get to a place where it's more commodious, where there's more pleasure involved, where it's a better place for us. Reminds me of Lot. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, that Lot pitched, he lifted up his eyes, and behold, all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and he separated himself, uh, the one from the other, from, from Abraham. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the, the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And the, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Boy, they had some stuff going on at Sodom. I mean, there was activity. There was the lights and the glitz and the glamour. If you wanted what the world had to offer, you could get it in Sodom. But in Genesis 14, 12, we find Lot who pitched his tent toward Sodom in Genesis 14, 12, we find it says, And they took Lot, Abraham's son, who dwelt in Sodom. It wasn't enough for him to pitch his tent toward Sodom, toward that wicked place, toward that place that was evil. He wanted the pleasures. He wanted what the world had to offer. And pretty soon now he's in Sodom. And remember, he was taken away captive with the people of Sodom. We come down to Genesis chapter 19, and we find Lot... And his family, not only in Sodom, but he's sitting at the gate, the place of prominence, the place of authority in Sodom. In fact, when his sons-in-law, uh, when he came to, when Lot came to warn them about the fact that God was going to destroy that city, the sons-in-law mocked him. Why? His his testimony, his life. He didn't stand up and shine as a light. He compromised in the world. Lot was willing at that point in chapter 19 to turn over his two daughters to the wicked men of Sodom to abuse them. Remember Lot's wife? When God said, don't look back when you go out of Sodom and you leave Sodom, don't look back. She went out, went into the little city, it was over there, and when the fire fell from heaven, she looked back, and the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. She looked back at what she used to have. All that stuff back there was gone. They had to leave it all behind. Folks, I submit to you today, 
the reason for the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul that happened there, the pride of people, love of pleasure. Boy, you know what? I want my way. I'm going to live my way, and I want, I want things the way I want it. But I want you to notice something else about this which caused the shipwreck. The storm caused the shipwreck. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 27 back there in Acts once again. Chapter 27 and verse number 14. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurococlidon. Uh, that word means a violent agitation. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive, and running under the certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used the helps undergirding the ship, and fearing lest we should uh, fail and, or fall into the quicksand, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest the next day, they lightened the, they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when sun, neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Let me ask you a question. Who was behind the storm? I'm just going to put it out there for you today. A lot of people may not like what I'm getting ready to say. Our God is in control of the weather. Oh, we're trying to blame climate change, and we're trying to to say, you know what, we can change all these different things. We can be like Bill Gates and wanting to put a thousand tubes in the, the gulf to change the, the temperature of the, the water so that the hurricanes won't happen. But I'm here today to tell you it, that's foolishness because God is in control of the weather. Look with me to Psalm chapter 107. Psalm 107. Folks, can I tell you the storm that just hit Florida? We heard today that how these poor folk had their part of their house was was affected by it. That's sad to hear, but I'm I'm here today to tell you that there is a God who's in control of that storm. They say, well, that's a that's the worst storm in 50 years. Can I tell you something? God is in control of the storm. Look at Psalm 107, verse 23. They that go down to the seas and ships that do business in the great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth, talking of God, He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they, they be quiet. So He bringeth them unto their de desired heaven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. I submit to you that God, is in control 
of the storms. The storms. Psalm 135, verses 6 and 7. Whatsoever the Lord pleases, that he did in heaven and in the earth, in the seas, and all the deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the earth to the, or the ends of the earth. He maketh lightning for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasury. It's God. God brings the storms into our life. We are either entering a storm, as someone has said, we're in a storm, or we're leaving a storm. See, Pastor, that seems pretty much how my life is. I'm just I'm coming into a storm. I'm I might even have just a little respite, but not not long. The question is, what do we do when the storms come? Who do we turn to for help? The sailors, they tried to do all that they could in the storm. They did all that they knew how to keep their boat during Paul's time afloat. They let the wind uh, take the ship. They were driven to and fro. They lightened the ship. They got rid of the necessary things. You know, sometimes the storms of life cause us to realize what really is important and what it's not. These men cast out anchors hoping that the rocks would hold them, but not when God's in control. God knows how to loosen those things. In fact, they were going to abandon ship because that was what they thought was the only hope. They finally came to the end of themselves and were willing to follow the Lord's instruction. You know, those that are Christians who have tried to weather the storms of life on their own, they have tried their best that they can in their own strength to get through the storms, but they have become overwhelmed. They become spiritually shipwrecked. They have been battered by the winds of affliction. The waves have beat against the ship and it's filled them to the point so that they are like those sailors. They've lost all hope. They become hung up on the rocks and they don't know what to do. They didn't look to the Lord to help them. They thought that they could get through the storm without the Lord. If only they had turned to the Lord, things have been so much different. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, it says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall flame kindle upon thee. Now there's hope in God. There's hope in the Lord. I want you to notice the results of being shipwrecked. Well, there was a great loss experience, was there not, in Paul's time. There was a loss of the cargo, the ship. There was the loss of the cargo. When people become shipwrecked spiritually, there's a great loss experience themselves. Loss of fellowship with God. When you and I, when we become spiritually shipwrecked, guess what? There's that fellowship. Not the relationship, but the fellowship is broken with God. They're not looking to God, but they're looking to other things. Somebody has said, when you get your eyes off of God, your eyes go on things, on self, or on others. When you become spiritually shipwrecked, there's a loss of joy. There's a loss of purpose. There's a loss of peace. 
When people are spiritually shipwrecked, they were these people in Paul's day with that ship, they were stuck on the reefs, unable to free themselves. The chains of sin were holding them fast, and they wouldn't let them go. You know what? When people are spiritually shipwrecked, sins of covetousness and greed and anger and jealousy and selfishness and pride and bitterness, they hold people so that they can't be let go. They can't move ahead and grow spiritually because they're all hung up. That's exactly what happened there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 to Hymenaeus and Alexander. They got hung up on sin. They became shipwrecked spiritually. People made shipwreck of their faith. This is what Barnes says. People made, uh, make shipwreck of their faith by not keeping a good conscience. They love sin. They follow the leadings of passion. They choose to indulge in carnal propensities. As a matter of course, they must, if they will do this, reject and renounce the gospel. People become infidels because they wish to indulge in sin. No man can be a, a, a sensualist and yet love the gospel which enjoys purity of life. If people would keep a good conscience, the, the way to a steady belief in the gospel would be easy. If people will not, they must expect sooner or later to be landed in infidelity. Such was the case of Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were no longer holding on to faith of a good conscience. They had put away those things of faith, the, the truth of God's word. They'd put that away. How can a person expect to move forward spiritually when he or she is hung up on the rocks of sin? You say, Pastor, how then can we prevent spiritual shipwreck? How can we prevent being spiritually shipwrecked? Well, first of all, we must put our complete trust in the captain of the ship, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul, in speaking to these believers here, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. Folks, the place where you and I, that we must keep our, high, our eyes focused as Christians is on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to get it on things or self or on others. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters um, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Why? Because they're anchored to the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives us living water. He's the one who gives us what we need. We're anchored, rooted, and grounded in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. With all thy heart, lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Keep your eyes on Jesus. May I share with you, the Lord knows where the dangers are. The Lord knows how to calm the storms, does he not? So we must 
put our complete trust in the captain of our ship, the Lord Jesus Christ. But second of all, we must be vigilant. We must be vigilant. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Well, as a Christian, we can get lazy. We can get lazy as a Christian. We, don't, we may not watch like we ought to watch. Not to be as careful. We can, we can just kind of feel like we're cruising. It requires work and diligence to be diligent. The Bible tells us that, that uh, we're to be, uh, to be sure that we are walking circumspectly. What are we supposed to watch? That we're walking the right way. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. It says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You and I, we need to be walking the right way. We need to be watching and making sure that we're making the right steps. A step leads to a way. A step in the wrong direction will lead you in a path that's going to lead you into destruction. But a step in the right direction is going to draw you closer to God. Well, Pastor, I just know this is the way that I'm supposed to go. And, and you, know, I've, you know, I've walked this way before. I don't need to. I can just go and, and just, I just go and it, it just comes naturally for me. May I share with you that if you're not vigilant and watching your steps, you can go to becoming shipwrecked. I remember we were over in Yosemite and we were, we were uh, walking up in, I think it was Vernal Falls that we were walking. Beautiful uh, falls that were coming over the, over the rocks. And, and we were hiking up there to this, this place. And the kids were all ahead of us. And, you know, the kids wanted to, they wanted to get to the top. That was the thing. And so mom and dad were at the back. And, and uh, boy, I mean, the, the water was really coming off of the rocks. And it was really splashing all over the place. And, and in fact, it was so bad, sometimes you couldn't hardly see where you were walking because of the spray. Well, you know, glasses are great, except when you get a lot of water on them. I don't have windshield wipers on my glasses. And so uh, I was walking, and, and I thought this was the right path to go. And all of a sudden, as I was getting ready, you're supposed to go around this rock, because I, I could not see. I was getting ready to walk off the edge down where the water was, because the, the spray was just so intense, you couldn't see where you're going. I thought that I had the right footing, and all of a sudden, I decided I better take these things off to be able to see, and I could see that there was something wrong with the direction I was going. And I realized, as people were going around the rock, I should be over there instead of where I was at. Folks, you know what? It only takes a step. It only takes one step to go in the wrong direction. He said, well, pastor, didn't you want to walk in the right way? Well, absolutely. I didn't want to go down where the water was. But you know what? It's because we need, to, we need to be vigilant about our steps. As a Christian, you and I, we need to be vigilant and be careful about the steps, what we're saying, what we're doing, that it's pleasing to the Lord. Because it doesn't take but a moment for us to make a step in the wrong direction. And then it's easier to take another step in that direction and then another we need to be vigilant to walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly means exactly, accurately, diligently. Oh, pastor, it doesn't matter how we live just as long as we live. Oh, yes, it does matter how you live. We need to live to please Jesus Christ. Well, anything pleases Jesus. No, that's not what the Bible says. 
We read that tonight where people, God gives commands and people don't heed his warnings. Hey, that's not pleasing to God. Well, I, you know, I have freedom in Christ. You have freedom not to sin. And you and I, we need to realize, we need to walk exactly how God is pleased with our steps. We're also to be vigilant and watching for the enemy, the devil. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. How many Christians weren't watching? They weren't looking for Satan. They were just going their way. They'd been so confident in their Christian life. You know, I know how this Christian life is. I know what I'm supposed to do. You don't need to tell me what to do. And the devil says, well, just let me have a little shot at it. The Bible says, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. And folks, I'm submitting to you today that every one of us can fall. And the closer that you draw to Jesus Christ and the more that you want to live the way that God wants you to live, the more that Satan is looking for you to attack you. Remember Peter? Peter says, you know, Lord, hey, I'll never forsake you. Though everybody else does, not me. And uh, Jesus is talking to him. He says, hey, Peter, let me just tell you, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. He wants to throw you up. And that wheat, the, the par- that little uh, metaphor that he's talking about there, just like the wheat, they would throw the wheat the, the kernel up there, and it would come down and they would hit on a rock and it would break the outside of that kernel to make that, that inside vulnerable so that they could break it down and, and use it for, for bread and stuff like that. He says, that's what Satan desires to do with you, to throw you up. And you've got such a confidence in yourself. Satan desires to throw you up and, and let you go and, and hit hard on that old rock and break out that, that outer shell and show you what you're really all about. He desires to sift you like wheat. He says, but I prayed for you. And when thou art converted, when you... he knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. He says, when you're converted, when you get your heart right, hey, strengthen the brethren. Strengthen the brethren. Folks, you and I, we need to be watching for our enemies. He, like, he lurks all around. He's alive and he's well. And the day in which we are living, he is out in a, in a ferocious way trying to destroy Christians. So you and I, we need to be vigilant, but also we need to be ready to follow what the Lord commands. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on the charge. That charge is a, it's a military word which refers to a superior uh, issuing commands to a subordinate. When God commands, He's superior, you're inferior. When He speaks, you're to obey. That's simple. That's it. We want to argue with God. We, hey, we don't understand. God, didn't, God doesn't always tell us the why. God doesn't always give us all the instruction at one point in time. For one reason, we can't always handle all the instruction. Some of us, we just need little portions at a time. We forget. Has anybody ever given you a lot of instructions and all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're trying to remember it all? You say, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let me write this all down. Because why? You forget. 
So God gives you a little portion and a little portion and a little portion. And eventually, when you put all these pieces together, then you'll get to this point over here. But if he gave you all of this over here, it would be overwhelming and you would just give up, throw up your hands and quit. You and I, we need to be willing to follow the Lord's commands. Timothy had a responsibility to follow what Paul had told him to do. And we have a responsibility as Christians to do what God says to do. Without question. We're to be ready not only to follow what the Lord commands, but we're to follow and fight for the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 says that thou uh, by them mightest war a good Warfare. That's the last part of the, the verse there. We're to battle for Christ. The Christian life is a battleground. From the moment we receive Jesus as our Savior, we're in the middle of a spiritual conflict. Our enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And they all try to shipwreck us along the rocks of sin. But thankfully, the battle is a battle that we can win if we appropriate what the Lord has provided for us. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. 1 John 5, 4, and, and whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Oh, what God has taught us from his word. We can overcome the world. We can be overcomers. On January, on a January evening in 1897, a British ship, was in an awful peril of the, in Vancouver coast near Cape Beale. For four days, the captain saw neither sun nor stars on the account of the dense fog. One day, at noon, he a uh, shout of, Breakers ahead! was the first warning that there was dangerous position in which he was placed. A heavy sea was running at that time and an attempt to, to weather the ship proved futile. The anchors were let go, and as the ship rounded, one of the cables parted, leaving her within 100, 100 feet of the shore, and immediately danger on the other side. The breakers were running 40 feet high. Can you imagine? There was no possibility of saving the vessel. It was finally decided to launch boats in an attempt to reach the shore. So several boats were capsized as soon as they were launched, but finally the officers and crew of the, the 33 men escaped safely through the surf. The sailors uh, spent the night under the, one of the un overturned uh, little boats. In the morning, the weather had moderated. And to their astonishment and delight, the ship still headed to her anchor. The captain and the crew boarded her, setting sail and soon escape from the dangerous position. Let no man give up because he has been shipwrecked and cast ashore. Board the gospel ship again and set sail. Paul did that after the shipwreck, and God gave him a great host to bring him into the harbor of heaven. Can you imagine all those people that were there with the Apostle Paul? He says, guys, you're going to lose the ship, but you know what? God's told me that you're going to all be spared. When they were all spared, and they saw God's hand working in Paul's life when they came to that little island, people were responding to the gospel. Folks, I don't know about you. Some people have been spiritually shipwrecked. Some have been shipwrecked for years. 
They've gotten off course. They, Satan has come in. They, their pride or different things that we've talked about. But you don't have to stay shipwrecked. You can get right with the Lord, and he can carry you safely home. I pray tonight as we stop and as we think about this tonight that we can avoid being spiritually shipwrecked. We can. I pray that we would heed what God has said in his word tonight. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you tonight for this thy word that gives us such encouragement. And I pray tonight, Lord, that your hand would speak to us. Lord, if there's one here without Jesus tonight, I pray that they would realize that there's one who can save them. They, they may seem like their ship is going, getting ready to go down for the last time. But there is a God who can save to the uttermost. One, no matter what the situation, no matter what the condition, if they're willing to realize that they're a sinner and that there is a Savior that God has provided, His Son, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, the Lamb which was without spot and without blemish, can take away their sins, give them peace, give them joy. Father, tonight I pray that if there's one here tonight listening to the sound of my voice that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that they would come and receive Christ tonight. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus tonight as your Savior, tonight can be the night that you can have a safe morning in Jesus Christ. I beg you, I implore you, put your trust in Jesus tonight. Today is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. God's given you an opportunity to respond. Tomorrow may be too late. I pray that you'd receive Christ tonight. Dear Christian, if you've become shipwrecked, you say, oh, Pastor, one day I used to, I used to live for God, I used to serve God, but boy, I, my life... I just got off somewhere. Today's the day which you can get back on track. If you'll just humble yourself, confess your sin, there is a Savior that's waiting for you with arms open wide for you to come back into his loving control and guidance. Won't you do that tonight? Dear Father, I pray that you would do so in the hearts and lives of people this evening. We give you all the praise, the honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Brother George is going to lead us in a song of invitation.